Hello friends! Welcome back to the podcast. This is episode number seven. Originally it was gonna be six, and then I switched some things around. But it's episode seven. How exciting. I'm excited. I hope you're excited. Can you tell by the sound of my voice in your ears? Um, we are moving on to uh, another round of self-observation. So two weeks ago, um, we did our first round of self-observation. And remember, we pulled all of the information from um, uh, Beatrice Chestnut's book, uh, The Complete Enneagram. And um, I'm going to dive right in today because I have a lot that I want to cover and I want to make sure that uh, I don't go over my time. So we're going to redefine what self-observation is and then we're going to move on to the good stuff. Self-observation defined again in the complete Enneagram by Beatrice Chestnut is about creating enough internal space to really see with fresh eyes and adequate distance what you are thinking, feeling, and doing in your everyday life. One more time. Self-observation is about creating enough internal space to really see with fresh eyes and adequate distance what you are thinking, feeling, and doing in your everyday life. And if you've been a a longtime friend of the podcast, uh, you know that back in episode... I want to say two, one or two. Um, it wasn't that long ago, but long enough, I guess, for, for me to not fully remember. Um, we talked about the instinctual centers or the triads, and that's that thinking, feeling, and doing, okay? The gut centers for eight, nines, and ones, twos, threes, and fours are in the feeling center, and then the um, five, sixes, and seven are in the thinking or the head triad. All right, we are going to start um, with type ones, this week, I know the last time we did this, we started with nines. I like to kind of, you know, give us a little break here. We're going back and forth. All right, type one. Here's your statement. And again, uh, I'll give a short short setup. We have a statement for each type. And then we're going to kind of go over a couple of things um, to observe or note. And maybe you'll begin to recognize some of these patterns in your life. Type one. The need to be perfect. I'm pulling these little needs from... Um, Richard Rohr, Father Richard Rohr's book, um, The Enneagram, A Christian Perspective. Um, but uh, the need to be perfect. Here's your statement. Co- uh, consciously following the rules as a part of an overall effort to avoid making mistakes. So one's like structure, and um, they find it uh, in the rules and r- routines of everyday life, but um, being overly rule-bound um, can make the ones fairly rigid and inflexible. Following the rules can support the one's tendency to believe they know the one right way to act. This habit can or may create an internal sense of safety. If you're following the rules, you can't be blamed, right? You can't get in trouble if you're following the rules. The cycle is such in a one that they follow the rules to be good and not to be blamed. But Anxiety rises within the one, and then the deeper rules are followed more strictly. Our type twos, they have the need to be needed. Here's your statement. Adapting, merging, helping, pleasing, and shape-shifting to engineer connections with specific individuals. Notice when you start to help or flatter people compulsively, even though you don't want to, or it exhausts you. 
Look out for ways you rationalize pleasing others, even if it means doing something you'd rather not do. Observe the tendency to merge with or take on the feelings and preferences of others while downplaying or talking yourself out of your own experiences. So I have a friend who's a type 2. And um, uh, we were once going to go out to this event, um, and it was a beer tasting event uh, in our town. And uh, a friend of ours who was going to go brought an extra person. So she brought a friend of hers. My friend, my type two friend, she, without even a hesitation or thinking, she gave away her ticket to this new person that showed up. And I immediately knew what was going on. Um, And I said, are you sure you want to do that? And she said, yeah, of course. You guys have fun. Go. It'll be great. I said, all right. Okay, sounds good. So we leave. And not 10 minutes after after we left did I get a text message that said, I'm so sad I'm missing all the fun. She did that to herself. Um, And she knew exactly what she had done once we had all left. But she ended up missing out on the whole event because she gave away her ticket. She, um, what was the, the sentence here? Um, Observe the tendency of others while downplaying or talking yourself out of your own experiences. This was an experience that she wanted to have, but she talked herself out of it and said that that person's needs or desire to go to this is greater than mine. And she gave away her ticket the whole time being sad that she wasn't able to go. So type twos, I have a question for you. Is it hard for you to stop thinking about your perceived mistakes in interactions with others? I'll say that again. Is it hard for you to stop thinking about your perceived mistakes in the interactions with others? All right. Before I move on to type threes, I I realized I didn't give a note for our type ones. Um, Our type ones. Notice or observe when you get into a space where you feel like the rules aren't working, ask yourself the question, why am I following these rules? Okay? Why am I structuring it this way? That may begin to unlock some deeper questions for you. Our type three friends, they have the need to succeed. Here's your statement. Constructing and maintaining a specific image to impress others. Observe all the ways you evaluate your audience for the clues you use to design the right image. Remember, our twos, threes, and fours are are in the shame space, and they, they deal with image more so than the other six types. Notice when you need attention and what it's about. Note how you strategize to construct a specific image. What kinds of things do you think about? What kinds of things do you do to manage your presentation? And here's a big question. How might you falsify yourself? Not just to the people around you, but to you as well. All right, type four is the need to be special. Distracting yourself in various ways from your own growth and expansion through your attachment to various emotions. Observe the ways in which you create suffering for yourself through negative thoughts about who you are and then dwell in that suffering as a way to distract yourself from taking actions to address the causes of that suffering. 
Notice if you use de de depression as a defense. If you focus on the hopelessness of things as a way to avoid deeper kinds of pain or won't do anything to generate hope and a more positive outlook. Here's your question. If you, if you want to hold on to anything, here's your question. Look out for what you were avoiding when you get attached to your sadness. Type fives, the need to perceive. Detaching from emotions and emotional life. That's your statement. Observe the ways in which you detach from your emotions, if you can actually see how this happens. Notice any um, situations in which you might feel something, but you do not. Like you feel it, but you choose not to feel it. Can, yourself, can you catch yourself in the act of detaching from your feelings or distancing yourself from something or someone that might stir up emotion? Notice, here's your, here's your question, um, fives. Notice when you delay feeling your emotions until you are alone. Type six, the need for safety. Trying to find a sense of control and security in a dangerous world by watching, doubting, testing, testing and questioning. Put two words together there for a second. Um, okay, let's do that one again. Trying to find a sense of control and security in a dangerous world by watching, doubting, testing, and questioning. Observe your tendency to scan for danger and be hypervigilant. How does this manifest in you in terms of your behavior, your energy, and the ways in which you relate to others? What kinds of things are you watching out for? How might this function as a stress-inducing way of looking for trouble instead of helping you to relax and feel safe? That's the cycle. Stay vigilant for the trouble, which causes the anxiety to skyrocket, which then you scan the horizon for trouble to stay safe, but it doesn't make you feel safe. It only raises your anxiety, and you never actually get out of the loop and feel safe. Here's your note. Note your habit of questioning yourself and others. What does that actually help you to do? Type 7s, the need to avoid pain. Confusing in indulgence and freedom from limits with love. Confusing indulgence and freedom from limits with love. Observe what happens when you engage in soft rebellion. Note how you experience the authorities in your life, even if this includes your partner or a friend who has expectations of you. Notice how you deal with options and how you respond to constraints others place on you. What kinds of things do you feel limited by? And how do you react to these perceived or actual limitations? Again, what kinds of things do you feel limited by? And how do you react to these perceived or actual limitations? Type 8s. The need to be against. Rebelling against outside authority and envying. 
I'm sorry, rebelling against outside authority and denying internal and external limitations. There's a misspelling on my notes, and I was like, that doesn't make any sense. (laughs) Rebelling against outside authority and denying internal and external limitations. Observe your tendency, eight, to view yourself as above all forms of authority. Recognize what in you motivates this tendency. Note how you don't accept conventional limits and how you invalidate the voice of conventional authority. Notice what forms this opposition takes, what beliefs you hold that support this view, and what kinds of things you do when you act from a superior sense of yourself as the ultimate authority. Here's what I'll leave you with eights. Notice any thoughts and beliefs you have about yourself that might be overly grandiose and ways in which you think of yourself as superior. Type 9s, the need to avoid getting stuck in inertia with regard to your own priorities. This one was important for me to write down this week. I was I was fighting gravity this week. Um things that happened in my uh my business and things that are happening in the world, I was definitely fighting the inertia and gravity of my own self. Observe what happens when you need to act on something and you don't. How are you distracting yourself? What are you avoiding? Note what happens inside you when you have a decision to make. What do you get out of staying on the fence and not deciding? In nines, Note what happens when you ch- when change happens or what might happen and how you react to that change. Okay? So, friends, those are my, my tools and tips that I have for you this week. Self-observation. Like I said um, uh, last week, um, in order to self-observe, well, in order for us to self-correct, we have to self-observe. And in so doing, we'll become wiser, more compassionate to ourselves and those around us. That's my hope for you this week. Be well. Treat each other with kindness. Give yourself a break. If you have any questions, you can always email me, Brandon, at aimandanchorcoaching.com. Or you can head over to the website, aimandanchorcoaching.com. If you have any deeper questions about the Enneagram, how it works, or questions on how to find your type, go to the website and click on the button on the top right corner. And you'll be able to get a hold of me and we can actually chat and maybe begin the process of figuring out who you really are. And like I always say, um, if you don't know what's holding you back in the world, how can you really move forward? Grace and peace, everybody. Peace.